Well, good morning. Well, it's a good day. It's been a big weekend at the, the Star Home for, for a variety of reasons. And for me especially, I've got uh, four of uh, the most significant ladies in my life here today. My, of course, my mom is here. Uh, she's put up with me for a lot of years. Uh, Susan, my sweet one, has uh, put up with me for quite a few. And then my sister, Debbie, is here. And uh, she's so much older than me. She's kind of like a mom. I mean, so, so much older. Uh, growing up, I was good at some things. One, I was very good at tormenting her boyfriends. And I have some great stories. Don't have enough time to tell you them, but uh, I was really good at tormenting her. Uh, my freshman year of college, uh, before I came to Baylor for Susan to meet her and all that, uh, I stayed in California where, where I grew up. My parents were living in Florida at the time, and I was taking my first college courses. And I remember one night, she reminds me of this very often, tells my kids a story, but I had a big, huge paper due, and I just had not worked on it yet. So I remember driving uh, about an hour and a half. She lived in San Jose, so I, I rushed down there when she got off work, and as I wrote the paper, she typed it. And, uh, uh, and uh, eventually I finished the paper, fell asleep, and she typed it through the night, and the next morning I got up and uh, made it to school, made a great grade, I assume. I can't remember, but I'm sure I made a great grade. All that effort I put into it. Uh, and back then you had to use a typewriter, so who knows how many times she had to type it. But uh, anyway, that sounds like a mom, right? That's kind of what you moms are like. Um, as we uh, continue in this series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, John actually gave me a pretty good passage to talk about today. It's the Golden Rule. And, uh, you know, the last two times I've preached, uh, the, the, the two times ago it was on wives submitting to their husbands, which we had a lot of fun with that. Um, and then the, the second one was, uh, what was that second one? Oh, yeah, divorce. That's right. So, you know, because John loves me, uh, he picks the easiest Sundays to be able to give to me and share. So he called me a, a couple of weeks ago, hey, John, can you preach on this Sunday? It's an it's a easy passage. And so... The golden rule, um, Matthew 7, 12 through 14. Look, look at this with me. And, and I've titled this uh, kind of talk today, this, this idea that it is a life worth living. It's, it's a life worth living. You know, we have one life to live. And, and part of it, when I talk about the fourth uh, lady in my life, of course, it's my sweet Hannah. It's here today. And, and this is a big week, kind of week and a half for us. Uh, Hannah had her last dance recital uh, after dancing, I guess, since she was four years old or something, her whole life, Hannah has loved to dance. I'm not going to talk about it because I'll cry, because I've cried a lot lately. I'm a wimp. Uh, but for me, when I, when I worked on this sermon and, and thought about this idea that we have a life to live, and, and God's given us opportunity to live a life that is worthy of living, when we understand what he made us for. And one of the things I've seen in my, my sweet Hannah, I mean, from the time she was a little girl, she has loved to dance. And uh, for all these years, she's given herself to that. And uh, for me, it's been such a, a picture of saying, man, figuring out what God made you for and giving your all to that. And in the midst of that, I've seen her just grow with this generous heart where she, she just loves people. I mean, I had so many moms come up to Susan and I last night and just say, your, your daughter has such a, an incredible heart. She's made such a difference in the lives of my daughter. And um, it, it, for me, it was just encouraging to realize what God had has done in her and through her. Um, 
But it's this idea of living a life worthy. And if you look at this passage, it's familiar to you. Uh, but the more I read it, the more I thought about it this week, uh, uh, I think some of those other sermons are almost easier, they're tamer, because what God is calling us to is a radical thing. And, and we speak about this golden rule often, and it seems kind of warm and fuzzy. But I, I believe part of what we're going to see in the Scripture today, it is actually a call that is going to take our everything. A call that will cause us to sacrifice all that we are to pursue it. But in the midst of doing it, we will see God's kingdom come in the lives of people. And our lives will never be the same. And those around us and those that we connect to in our city and our community will be changed because of that. But in, in verses 12 through 14 we read, So whatever you wish that others would be do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by a narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who entered by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. You know, part of looking at this passage made me go back and look at all that we've, we've really studied since, I guess, January when we started the Sermon on the Mount. But I encourage you this week, just go back. And read the whole Sermon on the Mount, 5 through 7, and we're just about through 7, so I imagine a couple more weeks, and we're going to be finished with this, and we're going to jump into Psalms and talk about prayer for the, for the summer, which is going to be beautiful. But just read it in its context, and you realize Jesus, as he sits down with his disciples on that hillside and begins to teach them, he begins to share with them this, this kind of life that is worth living, this radical life that is contrary to the way culture then and really culture today and really our own flesh and lives call us to. When I think about our culture and the culture of that day and, and even our human ways, uh, for me it's this idea of, of it's a life that's called a, almost this egocentric kind of life. Egocentric is derived from the Latin words ego, meaning I, and centric meaning focused upon. And so when we talk about an egocentric life, it's a life that is focused on I, a life that is focused on me. And so much of our world is so self-centered and focused on who we are and what we need and what's good for us. And Jesus comes along and he transforms that and he calls us to a different kind of life. He calls us, first of all, to a Jesus-centric life, a life that is focused on Jesus as king, knowing him, loving him, and experiencing his power at work in our lives, where he brings forgiveness, and he brings healing, and he brings hope, and he brings direction, and he brings his power to work in us and through us. It's a Jesus-centric kind of life that we're called to. it, And when our lives are focused on Jesus, it leads to this others-centric. And we'll unpack these a little bit, but he calls us to this life where it's not so much focused on ourselves, but it's a life that begins to be given to others. And we begin to care about them, people, and their hearts, and their lives. And when, when we begin to do that, it leads to this, this third kind of centric life, which I call this kingdom-centric life. Where not only are we following this king that begins to open our hearts up, just not to our own needs, but to the needs of others, but also we begin to long for what God wants done in people's lives and in our world. And when you start living this kingdom-centric kind of life, life gets exciting. As we begin to see the power of God and the love of God enter into our world that often is so broken. 
But He brings change and hope and life. And even in the midst of our need and and failures, there's grace and and there's forgiveness and, and there's second chances and there's third chances. And so it's that kind of life as we read through the Sermon on the Mount that, that we've seen. You know, the first part of chapter 5, we talked about the Beatitudes. And Jesus begins to describe these kind of character traits of, of those that have a blessed life, a happy life, a full life. And, you know, he used things such as uh, being poor in spirit. And he describes a life where we are desperately dependent on God. And he says for, for when we're poor in spirit, when we're desperately dependent on Him, uh, the kingdom of heaven is ours where he talks about those who mourn, they'll be comforted. Those who uh, are merciful will be shown mercy. Those who are pure in heart will see God. And, and so it begins to describe what it looks like. And then a little bit further down, it starts talking about what we're made for. It says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It talks about this idea that we are a city set on a hill, so that people, when they see us, they would see our king. And so our lives are, are much more than just living for today, but we live for a greater purpose, a kingdom-centric life where our lives are used to, to change the world. And then we read on, and, and Jesus began to, to deal with all kinds of... Uh, he said, this is a law. He said, man, I didn't come to abolish a law, but to fulfill the law. And when you live just according to the law, and uh, you become legalistic, and you're just following a bunch of rules... You know, it becomes, even in itself, even if you're trying to live everything perfectly for God and His law and you become very legalistic, it becomes a very, uh, you know, egocentric kind of life. But Jesus says, man, I came to fulfill it. And, and, and so following Him makes it much different. And then He started taking the law and saying that there's much more to it. And if you remember, He talked about, you know, we said don't murder. Well, He said, man, if you're angry at your brother, it's the same as murder. And He he talked about not committing adultery. And he said, man, if you lust on another person, if you lust for them, you commit adultery in your heart. And he, he begins to turn the law upside down and, and for people's lives upside down and says, this is what it means to follow me. And he talked about loving our enemies and all kinds of different things. And, and so we, we continue on and, and, and he begins to talk about not being anxious for anything. But trusting Him, looking to Him, believing in Him to meet our needs. And then ultimately He says, man, seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And, uh, and then last week, John, I think it ties perfectly and kind of continues with this. He, he gave this picture of God. And if you were here, you, you remember where he, he began to talk about the kind of God that we have. A God who gives good things. And he says, man, if you knock and if you seek and you ask the Lord, he's going to give to you. And that he is a loving father, just like our loving mothers and fathers in this world are going to give good gifts to their kids. God, he longs to give good gifts to us. And so this, it's this picture that we have been treated as incredibly generously in our lives. We have a, a generous God, a generous father. We have a generous king who loves to do good for us. And then in response to that, because we are treated generously, the, the Scripture often says this idea that because we have been treated generously, we are to live generously. And that is really what this Scripture is calling us to that we're going to look in at today. Um, there is a translation of the Bible that was written by Eugene Peterson. He's a pastor. Um, different years, I, I often will take a different Bible, a different translation, and just 
be reading through that throughout the year. And it, it, for me, it's always really cool and encouraging. In the last couple years, I've been reading the English ESV, which we often read in these services. But the message probably five, maybe ten years ago uh, was, was uh, a translation of the scripture that I, I read that was really life-transforming. And, and uh, if you haven't read it, it's interesting. But I want to read that same passage, uh, Matthew 7, 12 through 14, and I've got it up here on the screen. Uh, but in the message translation, and this is what he says. Here's a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you. Then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and prophets, and this is what you get. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life to God is vigorous and requires total attention. I really like the way they interpret 13 and 14. It's this idea that often we, we, the wide road, it's like the shortcut to God. It's the easy way. But the narrow road, the, the road that God has called us to journey on, it's, it's rigorous. It's vigorous. It, it takes our full attention. It is effort. And, and to live out this golden rule, it, it, it takes effort. And for me, it's a difference of this idea. Do, do we have a reactive kind of faith or or do we have a proactive as we're living our lives are we looking for opportunities to live this out are we just reacting are we just waiting And, and that's not totally wrong you know when you are offended and you need to look at that situation if I offend somebody how am I going to respond to that and that's that's good and that's normal but I think part of what God calls us to is this idea because we become other-centric as we begin to look at the lives of others with empathy, with openness. We begin to see where they are in need and we respond, right? We become proactive in our faith. So this golden rule is this radical thing that when we begin to walk with Jesus and we start having a heart for other people in His kingdom and seeing Him do what He wants to do in people's lives, our eyes become open. We become present in people's lives and we look to see where God longs to show up and our part in that. And we respond and we become proactive. Identifying with people and where they are, giving them what they want. Someone to do for them, you, you do for them. And so it's this idea, you know, if you were in poverty, what would you want someone to do for you? If you're caught in human trafficking, uh, we just, uh, I hosted a prayer training around emotional healing over this last, uh, I think it was a weekend ago, two weekends ago, and a really, a really powerful time. But uh, uh, a guy I had met, and he came, and, and uh, he works with an organization that is fighting human trafficking in the city, and, and it just reminded me, uh, Houston is uh, one of the, I think in the United States, either the top one or two most uh, human trafficking cities in the nation. All around us, there are people caught up in sex trade and, and other kinds of trafficking. I think part of what God wants us to do is have open eyes where we respond. Uh, if you have a huge moral failure, what would you want someone to do? If you told a lie and were caught, 
What would you want someone to do? If you hurt someone you love, what would you want them to do? And then looking and beginning to respond in that way. So what does it look like for us to begin to do this? How is it that we want to be treated? How is it that people long, what do they long to experience in their life? And I just thought of some words. Thought of the word dignity. We long to be treated with dignity. Isn't that true? Over the years of my family, we've had a lot of opportunity to work in impoverished communities. Um, My kids have grown up uh, working with homeless, serving homeless, working with kids in poverty, and it's been a a beautiful thing. And and one of the things I said at the last church I was at, we would employ, we'd find people that were on the street, we would employ them. And there is nothing like when you provide a job for someone that doesn't have a job that brings dignity in their lives. And when they have dignity, the things that begin to happen is absolutely unbelievable. Unbelievable. We had a, a lady, a mother, who was here from Africa, uh, Burundi. She came from Burundi, and she was in crisis. I mean, she had all these kids. Her husband was literally a, a bum. He, he ended up having two. He had a second wife they didn't know about. He left his family, about five kids. And she was struggling. She was turning into alcohol. It was horrible. And uh, probably five years ago, we gave her a job. And every time I go back into the church or the coffee house that's there and, and see her, I mean, she runs and, and hugs me and greets me. And, and it's amazing to see how her life changed just by giving her a job. Uh, we often went down to one of the parks uh, right near downtown, right by the Star of Hope Mission. Every Sunday afternoon, we would go and share a meal with the homeless that were in that deal. And so some of my boys, I mean, they grew up learning to throw the football uh, out there. And, and one of the gentlemen we connected to ended up uh, getting in the Star of Hope. He was a, a drug addict and that type of thing. And, and uh, I may have told, I've told some of you this story, but for us it's become part of our family story because it's significant. But uh, we went to his graduation. And uh, when he got up to speak at the graduation, uh, he pointed out my son Samuel. Samuel at that time was just, uh, just a young boy, probably, I don't know, nine years old, ten years old. But he called him out, he had him stand up, and I can't remember all the words he said, but, but he said, this young man, you know, changed my life because he would talk to me like I meant, mattered, like I meant something, like I was something, and it changed his life. You know, as we are living our lives and in our world, looking for people where they don't have hope, homeless, they're in poverty, They're broken, and you treat them with dignity because they are God-made. They are precious in His sight. In spite of their circumstances, they are of incredible value. As followers of Jesus, when we do begin to show people dignity, it changes lives. It can change our world. I I thought of the word justice. Uh, Just last week, uh, before the service, there was a lady sitting over here, and she's kind of just very quiet. She was uh, looked emotional, and so I went over and just began to talk to her and, and found out the day before she had been in about a three-month abusive relationship. And literally the day before she'd been pushed out of the car, told by this person, go and kill yourself. And she said when she's standing there trying to figure out what in the world she's going to do, somebody that, that comes to, her, to White Oak stopped, reached out to her, took her home, 
got her clean clothes, took care of her, fed her, let her spend the night, and then brought her to church the next day and was, invited her family from Galveston to come up and get her. Uh, man, when I heard that story, I thought, that is a picture of the kingdom of God. See, our kingdom is the kingdom of justice, right? If you have experienced injustice in your lives, and a lot of you have, isn't it you long to experience justice? We as a people are called to stand up for justice. I think of the word compassion and kindness. You know, when you run into people that uh, are broken hearted because of life, life is hard, and you show compassion and kindness, it is significant. Um, I was thinking with Hannah's graduation, and we're inviting a lot of friends, and, and her story for us is a rich story. Um, uh, we were married 10 years when we ultimately had Hannah, okay? And so we went through a number of years where uh, we weren't able to have a baby, and some of you know that story, but uh, we went through a period where we never thought we'd have trouble having kids, and we ended up, after being married six years, finally being in our first church, we were pastoring, and we're going to have a family, and then we couldn't. And, and so we went through that whole journey that many of you perhaps, or some of you have gone through, and you know it. You know it, and, and these Mother's Days used to be so painful for us because this unfulfilled dream and desire was in our heart. But there are so many people that in the midst of that journey showed us compassion and kindness. Uh, there's this one couple, Phil and Pam, who, when I mean, they prayed for us, like, all the time, all the time. And uh, I remember one particular year, they gave us this picture, and it was a scripture they've been praying for over us, and it was this, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And uh, that still hangs in a, in a prominent place in our home. But it was such a, a incredible thing because it, it helped us in the midst of all that. We began to delight ourselves in the Lord and find our sufficiency in Him and uh, find our peace in the midst of that journey in Him. And, and, and God obviously was able to do significant things in our, in our lives and for our family that was absolutely huge, but it was those people that journeyed with us uh, and showed us kindness and compassion. That was life-changing. I think of fairness and honesty, forgiveness. When you've made a mistake, big, small, and it's out before the world, and you have somebody that loves you, or somebody you've wronged that forgives you, Again, it changes life. Generosity, belief, respect, politeness, admiration, friendliness, love. The list goes on. See, what God is calling us to is it's, it's, it's a radical life. It's not a responsive kind of faith. It's not a responsive journey that we still live this egocentric life where it's mostly around this idea, even in following Jesus, that it's about our happiness and our joy. But it's really about Jesus and his kingdom and being involved in seeing his kingdom, his rule, what he wants done, done in the city, in our world, and in our relationships. And it calls us to sacrifice and to give ourselves away. So how do we get to that place where we can find and begin to live this out? For me, I go back to those same centric kind of things. I think it begins with this idea of Jesus-centric life. 
I know that the Lord, for all of us, He is at work. Our entire lives, we are in the process of being transformed, right? Into His image. And part of that is just that our hearts begins to beat with His heart and we begin to see the things He, he sees. Some of that is, is and it really was prompted in this training we went through around emotional healing. You know, all of us have aspects of our life where we need His healing. And this training, was, it was interesting because it's all really basic, reproducible kind of stuff, but it speaks about this, this kind of concept, and I, I'm going to hit it real rough, but it's this idea that all of us in our lives, there's, there's things that, uh, there's lies, things we've experienced, there's trauma that we've gone through that the enemy uses to speak lies into our heart. This idea of lies that we're not worthy enough. We're not good enough. Or lies that we are helpless, that we are powerless, that we can do nothing. Or this lie that we are hopeless, that we can do some things, but nothing's going to change, right? And through those experiences in our life, we have emotional pain that the enemy uses. And often those things are locked and covered up by sin, and by anger or frustration or disappointment with, that we have in our lives. And, and what, part of what God wants to do is begin to forgive us, experience those, the, the forgiveness of sin and the release of our frustration and our angers. And it's all built around this idea of being Jesus-centric. It's of coming to a place where you're able to give those things to the Lord. That anger, that unforgiveness, that... Uh, that uh, regret, that condemnation, those, those lies that, that uh, are not what tr- God truly believes of you. And so I think part of coming to this place is a Jesus-centric life is that we learn what it means to follow him, but we also begin to learn what he really believes about us, and we experience his healing in deep and significant ways, and we become free. The Bible says that Jesus sets us free. We will be free indeed, right? So our lives are, we all experience, we, even in the best of homes, I mean, we experience brokenness and disappointment and trauma and pain. And so part of this, I, I believe, is that the Lord longs in our journey with Him to become and experience the life as He meant it to be known and to know Him and His power in our lives. And, and, uh, and that's going to be throughout our lives. I don't know that we're completely, ever. it's, it's, it's just going to be a process, but God longs to do it. And as we begin to do that and uh, we find our focus in our life in Him, uh, our hearts begin to race, right? We know His generosity. We experience His power. We start caring about other people. And so it, it becomes that place of really becoming present. I, I think having that discipline of being present with people, when you're with them, you're present. I'm not always good at this. You know, sometimes you have so much on your plate you're going, so, there's so many things you're trying to do that we're not always present with people. Like, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, you're, when you're with them, you're with them. And looking and seeing people. And some of you, it's easier than others. Some of you are very relationally driven. Some of you are much more task driven. Sometimes being task driven is more difficult to be relational. Some. But you can be relational and have a ton of relationships, but you're not necessarily present with anyone central. So what I'm saying is that we become others-focused and we begin to dial into who, the people that are around us. 
And then thirdly, as we begin to do that, it's this kingdom-centric life. Because we're following Jesus as king, because we love him, we love people, we long to see what he wants done, done, what he wills to happen. And we could become part of it because more than anything, we want his will. We want what he wants because he's, his, he's ours. And that leads us to the sacrificial kind of life. As we close this morning, um, if you look at that passage again, if you put that back up there uh, from the message, again, he says, this is a simple rule of thumb. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you. And so this week, man, as you begin to see people, I encourage you to be present. Begin to look at people that God brings in your path. Not just people you know, even people you don't know. People you work with. People in your home. And begin to see what is it that God wants to do in their life. What would I want in their situation for them to do for me? And then grab the initiative. This kingdom-centric life is really a life of obedience. That is, God puts things on your heart to do, you just do it. Even if it costs, you do it. And, um, you know, that's my prayer for myself, because I, I don't always measure up. I often don't measure up. But I long to. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. Um, in just a moment, uh, we're going to be able to share in, in communion and the Lord's Supper where we take a piece of bread which signifies the body of Christ, signifies the love that was demonstrated by his broken body on the cross. And it ought to remind us of the sacrifice because of Jesus' love for us. He, he took the initiative. He gave his life. And so as we respond, we identify with Christ as we take the bread. And, and I encourage us, we're identifying with that obedience his obedience to the Father, what the Father longed to be done. And if you read on chapters 8, 9, and 10 of Matthew, you see Jesus over and over again impacting people's lives with that kind of generous love. And then we're going to take the cup that signifies his blood that was shed, uh, this new covenant in his blood that we have a right relationship with Jesus. We are forgiven because of the, his blood that was shed, his sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins, my sins. And so there is freedom in Jesus. And so as you come, um, let's remember and let's respond with a, just a personal prayer and desire. God, I want to follow you. I want to give myself away as you gave yourself to me. Uh, Father, it is... Uh, such a privilege to be able to open the scriptures today together and uh, Lord to be reminded of your great love for us uh, now as we take the Lord's Supper and, and your sacrifice um, that was for each of us both collectively and individually Lord you you gave and you continue to give you continue to give yourself away for us and so, Lord, today we, with grateful hearts, say to you, Jesus, we desire to love you with all that we are. 
And we desire to love people, really love them. And to be a part of you using us in a way that they can experience your love and power. And so call us, Lord, lead us into that kind of life. And we ask these things in your beautiful and powerful name, Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stand, and as you would like, we invite you to come forward. And uh, again, you take the cup and the bread, and, and you're invited to go back to your seats and, and take it at any time that you like. You can take it with your loved ones, but we invite you to come now.